Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. We are getting ready to start this live stream. Let me know if everything is good on the audio, video end, uh, end of things. I didn't do a test run, so uh, we're just kind of shooting from the hip when it comes to uh, all the technological stuff going on here. So make sure you keep me informed in the live chat uh, if everything sounds good, if everything looks right. I'm very excited about tonight's discussion. This is a very important one that I'm really hoping people will listen to, pay close attention to. This is for people who want to have an honest conversation, who want to have an honest disagreement. There are some things that we can disagree on, and I love nothing more than talking about things like this and, you know, trying to change people's minds. I don't mind being challenged on these things. But uh, at the same time, I have found that it's very difficult to have an intelligent conversation on this subject because as soon as people start to get the idea that you do not line up exactly with them, they just try to label you as something and then uh, just the name calling, the attacks get going, and then the, just the straw men. And that really frustrates me, bothers me a lot. Uh, I I don't want to do that to the other side, and I definitely don't want them doing it to me. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to talk about the subjects of replacement theology and dispensationalism. Those two uh, phrases or terms, titles, they mean different things to different people. Now, I'm somebody who considers myself replacement theology. Now, when people hear those two words come out of my mouth, they think all kinds of things. Some things might be right, but often times, many times the things are very wrong. And so uh, I want to explain tonight what I mean when I say that and talk about that term because it does mean different things to different people. And I've got three guests with me tonight. I have Pastor Matt First uh, from South Dakota, Pastor Scott Clem from Wyoming, and Pastor Joe Major from Louisiana. Pastor Major, he's going to be uh, a little late, but he'll be joining us eventually in this conversation. And so, uh, just we're going to get right into this. There's a lot we want to talk about. And uh, so the first thing I want to do is uh, I'll start with Pastor Clem. And I just want to ask you about that term, replacement theology. Is that a term that you like? If it is, you know, what does it mean to you? And, uh, you know, when you talk to people about your view on Israel that's, you know, different than the mainstream IFB view, um, you know, how, how do you want to explain it? How do you, what do you, how do you want people to perceive you? So uh, let's talk about that term, replacement theology. What does that mean to you, Pastor Clem? Yeah, th thanks for that. I guess let me just start off by um, by throwing out a disclaimer. Um, I certainly have some strong views on this um, and, and can be quite opinionated. I think sometimes that comes off as maybe um, arrogant. And and so uh, it is not my intention at all to, um, to you know, throw any dispensationalists or, or covenant theologians or anything like that underneath the bus. Um, I really concur with your comments. These are conversations that we should have, and I think it's okay to have spirited discussion and spirited debate on these things. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. 
Um, you know, hopefully no one comes away from this thinking either myself or, or any of us on here are just a bunch of, you know, jerks uh, talking about theology, because that's not the idea. We want to be jerks for Jesus. You know, that's that's not the idea. Um, I've written a lot about this um, in different things, and I actually keep a, a bunch of notes and stuff handy. And so I was just looking through some of my notes today. I do not like the term replacement theology. Now, we've been talking about that just a little bit briefly um, you know, before we went, we went live here, um, there's, there's different, there's different terms out there. You know, I've, I've heard of this theology or something similar to it called, uh, commonwealth theology. I've heard it called remnant theology. Um, I've heard it called fulfillment theology. There's replacement theology. I guess, um, I'm, I am more akin to the term of expansion theology. And I think I just kind of made that up. Um, but I like how it characterizes the subject. Um, let me just read a little bit of something that I wrote in the past as far as kind of explaining the situation. Uh, I, I put, so in general, there's two main thoughts about Israel and the church. And this is what it all boils down to, right? How do you, how, what do you do with Israel and the church? Uh, Reformed theology just straight up claims that God has cast off Israel and replaced Israel with some new thing called the church. Again, there's variations and different flavors, I guess, for this. And so just take this in general terms. Dispensationalism, however, claims that because unbelieving Israel rejected Christ and the kingdom, that God has paused his program for Israel. And in essence, he has put away Israel aside in this dispensation and has replaced them with the church. Now, again, I, I liken dispensationalism as another form of replacement theology. It's just they've replaced uh, replaced Israel with the church in this dispensation. And of course, then, um, the, you know, the, the real danger, uh, I believe, is that this can lead people to think that there are two covenant peoples of God, when the Bible is clear that there's only one covenant people of God. It also assumes that God will go back to the law after the uh, after the church is with God, which is a violation and contradiction of Hebrews 7 through 10. Of course, we know Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. God isn't going back to animal sacrifices. And so the question is, which which view is correct? What is the what is the correct answer? Has God cast off Israel? Has he replaced Israel? Um, I, I don't believe that, that either one of those two things quite feel, uh, you know, um, fit the bill here, uh, rather that God has expanded, he has fulfilled his covenant promises to Israel, and he has expanded those covenant promises that were exclusively made to Israel to the Gentiles through Christ. And that's how he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. And so if, for me, the, the, real, the real key thing to understand is the new covenant. You know, who, who was the new covenant given to? And if we look at scripture, just, just, you know, um, that's one thing about dispensationalists, dispensationalists, you know, there, there's a couple of things that distinguish them, which I, you know, um, I try to be fair to them. You know, they believe that there's a strong distinction between Israel and the church. And then the other thing that, that I also believe is the idea that we should take the Bible literally. Um, now they have almost used the, the literal interpretation as something that's exclusive to them, you know, that nobody else interprets the Bible literally. It's just the dispensationalist. That's something I, I take issue with myself. Um, but the point, again, going back to um, the new covenant, 
You know, who is the new covenant given to? Well, it's in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. You can find it again in, in Hebrews chapter 8 and also Hebrews chapter 10. The Bible tells us very specifically that the new covenant, as well as, as, well as nearly all the covenants, are given to Israel. In fact, it's what it says specifically. And so what do you do with that? Um, if the new covenant is given specifically to Israel, then how, to, how do Gentiles get saved? Um, because clearly we are inheritors of the new covenant promises. I mean, the new covenant promised to give us the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, that we would know God and that God would know us, that he would give us a new heart. He'd write his law upon not tables of stone, but our fleshly tables of the heart. I mean, all of those things have come to pass. We experience that as Christians today. So how do Gentiles fit into that whole thing? And I think that's how, if, for me anyway, um, this idea of replacement the theology, or as I like to call it, expansion theology, um, shows how God has indeed fulfilled his new covenant promises to the believing people of God, whether that be Jew or Gentile. Uh, and in particular, when it comes to Gentiles, that he has expanded these new covenant promises to Gentiles so that they can be partakers in this. Um, and that's that's kind of in a, in a nutshell, that's how how I look at this and how I view this. Now, I used to be a, a dispensationalist. Um, I used to believe that there were two covenant peoples of God. Uh, I, I I used to believe um, many of the same things that dispensationalists believe. Um, and scripture has persuaded me otherwise. So that's kind of where I stand on things and kind of how I, you know, in a, in a rough sense, kind of how I uh, describe the the discussion. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, when it comes to this, too, we don't have like this textbook of a systematic theology that all of us have read and that we all agree on. And, you know, these titles and things, you know, they're kind of man-made and they're not necessarily straight out of the Bible. They can be based on the Bible. And so, you know, I don't have a problem with somebody calling it something else, you know, especially if they um, if it does mean something else to them, but let me, you know, pastor first, before I get to you, let me just kind of throw this at you. Now, I think a really good term for this is one that unfortunately has already been used. So if we claimed, if we use this title, it just, it wouldn't work, even though this is very biblical, but in Hebrews chapter nine, it's explaining, you know, it's talking about the, you know, the old temple or the old tabernacle. And it says in verse eight, Hebrews 9, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertained to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now, obviously, that's referring to the new covenant. And you could, so the thing is, I don't think it's wrong to say that what the New Testament church is, it's the Old Testament Israel reformed. And uh, so reformed theology. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go around using that term because people will get the wrong idea. But, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's the problem is the label. Um, I don't like replacement theology because everybody's got a different idea what that means, just like Reformed theology. So when, when you hear someone talk, I feel like you have to figure out what their definition is of the label they're using. 
Um, I don't like replacement theology as a label or as a phrase, although I, you know, I accept it as, as a phrase, but I don't really like it because to me, it sounds like, it sounds like plan B. It sounds like God had to go to plan B because plan A didn't work. And so he had to replace, he had to replace the original with something else. And I also don't like it for that reason too, because I don't think Old Testament national Israel is the original Israel. Um, obviously, um, there's a really good book I found and I uh, wanted to show you that. Uh, but seriously, um, I don't know of any other book that talks about who is Israel from a King James perspective. And so I'll go ahead and toot my own horn. But but I think that's the answer. Who is Israel? Uh, I believe that, you know, you mentioned the tabernacle, but it was just a, a pattern. The original is in heaven and the original Israel is Jesus Christ, Isaiah 49. And so Old Testament, New Testament, who is Israel, I think is the way to is the way to answer this. Find out who is Israel. It, were all the Old Testament physical Israelites saved people? I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think they were all born again saved people. But I do believe that many of them are in heaven. I think Abraham's in heaven. David's in heaven. Um, and are are all of the um, are all of the people who are members of a New Testament church saved? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that there are some false professions in our churches. And so I think you got you got that both ways. And uh, again, um, Rahab the, the harlot, Ruth the Moabite, they weren't born Israelites, but they were accepted in by adoption, just like uh, just like in the in the New Testament. It's not by physical birth. It's by spiritual birth. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. And um uh, you get up on replacement theology, and then you then you have the different stripes. You have the Catholic replacement theology, which I think pretty much is the Catholics are the true Israel. Um, and then you have the Protestant view, which is very similar to the Catholic view. Uh, and so everyone has their slant on, well, we're the real Israelites. Um, and then you have the British Israelism or the Anglo-Saxon, the white race, the white people. They're the lost tribes of Israel. They're the real Israelites. And they're all wrong. Uh, because simply they ignore what's most important, and that is you must be born again. It's it's a it's a spiritual Israel, not a physical Israel. It doesn't matter, you know. When it comes to the the Anglo-Saxon British Israelism, you know they say that the lost tribes, you know, migrated into um, Britain, and uh, and the white, you know, the white-skinned people are the lost tribes. You know what? Even if they even if they could prove that, flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So they're wrong. Um, and, and we, we know from the Bible that the Bible says, you know, it tells us that it's not outward circumcision, it's circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter two says it's, it's the inward, it's the heart. And so it's not an outward circumcision that made you a child of God, uh, that made you a born again, uh, child of God. It's in Christ. And so Abraham was a believer before he was ever circumcised. And, and yet, in the Old Testament, we, we realize that circumcision might have physically put them into the institution called national Israel. Uh, but we also recognize that in the New Testament, in our day, there are people who might be baptized, but but not necessarily born again. Uh, and and so the Protestants, the Catholics, they, they have this baby baptism, and they think that they're, you know, the true Israel of God because of their church membership through through a baptism or something like that. They're both wrong. I think all of them are wrong. Um, and so, do, but do I think there is a legitimate 
uh, spiritual Israel, the Israel of God? Yes, and Galatians 6 says the Israel of God, and I think that's always been the understood uh, concept of Israel until about 1948. And then about 1948, everything switched a little bit uh, because of a physical Israel that all of a sudden reemerged over in the Middle East. But I think if you read the old commentaries and the old hymns, uh, you'll find the, the, um, uh, the understanding of Israel being a spiritual Israel to save people of God. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Good. Go thing in there as far as, you know, why I don't necessarily like the term. Um, Matt, Matt touched on that. Um, oftentimes, if you, if you claim that you're, you know, you, you, um, this this idea that you're going to be an anti-Semite, you know, automatically that's the label that gets thrown thrown out there, and that's just one of those things I I don't like. Um, and we can we can discuss, um, you know, the Jewish people. God is still saving the Jewish people. There's 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 saved Jews, um, but automatically sometimes we're labeled with this idea. Well, you're you're anti-Semitic if if you think um, the way that you do. And so anyway, um, it's one of the reasons I don't like the term. Right. Yeah. And I hate getting called anti-Semitic too. I think that's a ridiculous accusation, but you know what I think it comes down to is, you know, obviously when, uh, it comes to theological terms like replacement theology, dispensationalism, uh, you know, covenant theology, uh, you know, all these different titles are things that we try to give as identifiers of what we believe. And so, um, you know, nobody likes to just com- get fully stereotyped with anything. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who consider themselves dispensationalists that think Larkin was crazy on some things, you know, I mean, Larkin believed four different gospels, you know, and not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, he had all kinds of really crazy theories. Um, and so they don't like when you, you know, associate them with that. You know, and it's the same thing with us. You know, we don't want to get lumped in with the Catholics when it comes to replacement theology because there are differences. And so, Pastor Major, you're, you're with us right now. Uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts on replacement theology, what that means to you, what do you think about that title. And then, you know, and you're from a dispensational world too. You know, uh, you come from a Bible college that was very dispensational. And obviously, a lot of people use that term too just to show that hey, I just believe there was a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which we believe too. You know, there's a lot of saved dispensationalists out there that, you know, don't all believe, you know, faith plus works in the Old Testament, you know, multiple gospels, uh, you know, that the pyramids were some kind of prophetic thing, you know. So uh, when you hear those terms, replacement theology, dispensationalism, what do they what do they mean to you? And what do you... What do you say to try to explain yourself to people? Sure. So uh, first, it's good to be with y'all here this evening. Thank you for inviting me, Pastor. But uh, when I think of replacement theology, you know, the first thing I would say, I would say about that is, you know, people kind of throw these arguments at you and say, I think y'all were talking about some of it. I, I missed the beginning. But uh, people throw it at you and say, well, you believe like the Catholics because you believe like replacement theology or you believe like the Protestants. The first thing I'd say is just because, you know, some other group or some other religion or even people we might call false prophets, just because they attach to a certain doctrine, (coughs) excuse me, does not invalidate that doctrine. It doesn't 
mean that it's wrong just based upon that because i mean first of all the, the catholics believe in the, the trinity as well <laughs> and the bible also tells us in second peter chapter two about false prophets it says and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and so that's what satan wants to do is he wants to take that which is true and he wants to corrupt it and bring it to a point where people speak evil of it so they want nothing to do with it and so just because somebody claims to be replacement theology does not invalidate replacement theology replacement theology it's just a way to attack it and to uh not have to deal with the issues not have to deal with the doctrine and so when i think about replacement theology you know i don't know that that term is completely accurate you know the bible tells us jesus christ of course speaking to the scribes and pharisees told them that uh the kingdom shall be taken from you and given to another bringing forth the fruits thereof and we see in the Bible, in the, the book of Ephesians, chapter number two, that we have been brought in and we have joined them, basically, is what the Bible teaches. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so the Old Testament Israelites that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you know they had the right faith, they believed, they were saved, we have joined them. And we have been brought into that commonwealth of Israel. And so there is only one household of God. There's not, you know, the Jews are a special group over here and the church is over here. You know, there's only one household. In fact, that's what Jesus Christ meant when he said that there are others which are not of this fold. And them also I must bring in and they shall be one fold the bible tells us and so we have been brought in with them and made partakers of the covenant that god of course you know gave to abraham that jesus christ now is the minister of our circumcision and so we have been brought into that and so you know i come from myself a very dispensational type background now they were saved i was saved even when I used to believe in dispensationalism, I never believed in the hyper dispensationalism where you believe that the way of salvation changed from age to age. But, you know, I was pre-trib and they did believe that as far as dispensationalism goes, that there were, you know, different things with the church and the nation of Israel and so forth, and that God's going to go back and deal with them in the future. And so I do come from that dispensational background, but it was more kind of I'd say influence, not Ruckmanite, but kind of influence somewhat by that. Man, and I would say, you know, are you dispensational or covenant theology? I'd say neither. I'm just biblical. And I appreciate I appreciate Pastor Major reading Ephesians chapter two and talking about one fold and and uh, you know the commonwealth, like Pastor uh, Clem said, commonwealth is a biblical word. And then chapter three of Ephesians says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, 
and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'm not, I didn't used to be the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. In other words, Abraham's still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's really only one generation because once you're saved, you're all, you always exist. And so there's just one generation and it's the chosen generation. And Peter, he coined both phrases. He said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Or then he said, you are of the chosen generation. So uh, we're really one or the other. We're one genre or the other. And, and so I like to call it the family, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so I think we're all part of the same family. It might be the Old, Old Testament institution of national Israel or the New Testament institution of the church, but it's all one family. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. Yeah. And another thing, too. You know, so with obviously a biblical term, you could use, you know, Reformed theology because, you know, you had that time of Reformation. We're not going to call it that because that's that's been hijacked. But even the term dispensation, you know, that you can find that word four times in the New Testament. And the thing is, if we use that term biblically, you know, as like a distribution, God throughout time did reveal more and more of his plan. He revealed more and more about himself. And so I think one thing we all agree on is the fact that New Testament theology and the New Testament salvation, if you want to call it that, it's it was God's plan A. You know, what we have today is God's it, it is God's plan A, but God chose you know through in sundry times and divers manners he spake in different ways and throughout time he revealed more and more of his plan. And so in the dispensational world, when they're trying to make sense of all that, they've just kind of divided things up into these dispensations. And obviously, you know, I I see what they're trying to do, but then they just kind of get into some weird stuff. But, you know, I've heard a lot of people who consider themselves dispensational. They use that term a lot, but yet their theology is, is very sound in many ways, um, and really not that far off, because where you and I, when we go, when I go to the book of Hebrews and I see uh, a better high priest, a better you know sacrifice, a better mediator, all these things that are used, I say, you know, replacement theology, you know, or uh, New Testament theology. You know, God replaced the Levitical priesthood with the priesthood of the believer that we have today. He replaced the high priest, the Levitical high priest, with Jesus Christ, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So that's a word that I can use where the the dispensationalists, they would agree with pretty much everything we agree that has changed. If we were to ask them, well, why aren't we doing the sacrifices? Why don't we have a Levitical priesthood? Why don't we have an earthly temple? They would say, well, it's because we're in a new dispensation. So how we say it can be very different, but often what we say can be very similar too. So uh, the thing is, once we've kind of, when I talk with dispensationalists, once we've kind of established this common ground where there's the things that we agree on, but we say different, we use different terminology to explain it, then what's important is that we get to the real issue and that's where we actually do disagree. So Trying to ignore terms and how we say things, you know, um, what would you all say are the biggest differences between, between what we believe, replacement theology, commonwealth theology, whatever you want to call it, 
and the dispen- the saved dispensational crowd. Not the Ruckmanites. We don't need to talk about them. I'm talking about your saved, you know, right on the gospel, dispensationalists out there, you know, who always want to accuse us of thinking, you know, saying God broke his promise to Israel, which we don't believe, you know, of saying, accusing us of believing all kinds of stuff that's just not true. Where are the real disagreements at? And who wants to go first on that? best answer but i'll just jump in here um you know you mentioned hebrews and replacing the tabernacle or whatever replacing the biblical priesthood actually hebrews does tell us that the tabernacle system was patterned after the one in heaven Mm -hmm. so the original is really in heaven and the old testament tabernacle system was actually a, a, a replica or or just an object lesson and what we're told is is that is that that's the original and the church age is just some kind of pause in between. And then they're going to go back to that, which is wrong. That's to me is very wrong. Um, and, and again, Ephesians chapter three, it says, talks about the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister. And so uh, he goes on to say, unto me who am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things. So there's been this mystery and the end of Romans talks about this mystery. And then it says again, down here at the bottom says of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So I think the mystery is, is that there's always been one family, and uh, and and the Old Testament people got this impression that they physically were the family, but then there was there was Ruth the Moabite, Rahab the harlot. There was others that, that could be part of the family, but they they couldn't see that, and uh, and so that was a real shock to their system in the Book of Acts when they found out that God uh, intended for more than just the Jews to be in the family. And, uh, and this was part of the mystery. Now, I think personally, I think the mystery of God is finished at the last trumpet. And the other men out here might disagree. But I think Revelation tells us that when that last trumpet sounds, the mystery of God is finished. And I think that's because the whole family is complete at that point. And that's the end of the people getting saved. And so I think the mystery of God is culminated in the church. I do. I am excited to live in this time because I can see things better than the Old Testament saints could see them because I've got the whole picture in front of me and they didn't, they couldn't have that. And so I do think I get to see more of the mystery revealed than they do. Not that I don't know it all or anything, but I just think that we are, we're living in those exciting times where we see the mystery of God revealed. And, and, and we see that uh, the Gentiles will be part of the church, part of the family of God and the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I think to me, uh, that is, um, that is the answer uh, to, to, Go back to the Bible and just what does the Bible say? And to get rid of the dispensationalism, you know, and the theology uh, that that so warps and brainwashes us from from just get, let's just get back to the Bible. Right. Anyway, I'm gonna shut up for a while. Yeah. Let you guys talk. No, but that's that's very good because a couple things. So one one thing you said that is a major disagreement, and that is this going back to kind of an Old Testament economy, and uh, that is a disagreement. That is not biblical at all, and that's something that we need to stay focused on. That's wrong. But another thing you said, too, 
I think this is really important because I agree with what you said. So here's what we don't want to do on, on either side, but what we often do to each other. So if I do not like that term replacement theology, and I don't have a big problem with it, but I do understand the problems with it. Technically, what I could do, I could say something that all of us would agree with in the replacement world, and that is what you said, uh, how the temple of the Old Testament, it was, it was an object lesson. It was a figure for that time. So in reality, the Levitical priesthood, we all agree, never saved anybody. The sacrificing of bulls and goats never saved anybody. What actually saved people was the blood of Jesus Christ. So... Technically, those things weren't replaced because it was always that, even though obviously it hadn't been revealed during that time. So, you know, the thing is, I can get real, you know, if, if based on what you said, when we get real technical, you know, you could show that, yeah, replacement's kind of a bad term, even though everybody in the replacement world agrees with that. And even a lot of dispensational people would agree that the blood of Christ is what saved everybody, even from the Old Testament. So again, we all you know, we're all trying to figure out the best way to express you know deep things, things that were mysteries in the Old Testament that have been revealed. And so it's I think it's very important on when we have this kind of conversation that we never go overly technical with what somebody else said and then try to use it against them to show a contradiction. I just don't think that's profitable at all. Theology thinking, it forces them to, to a lot of them to say that the old Testament saints were, were not saved by the blood of Christ, mm -hmm. uh, that they're not in Christ. I mean, there's a guy named Thomas Strauss. He's writes a lot of books and teaches at Bible colleges or whatever. But he says that when the rapture happens, only the New Testament saints will be raptured. The Old Testament saints will have to wait seven more years because they're not technically in Christ. I just think that's wrong. I yeah. just think that's not right. And, and then you got the, the Peter Ruckmans of the world who, who even go a step further and say that the Old Testament people had to have faith plus works. And, uh, and so and, and that's also but it's really of the same it's of the same venue. They're, they're kind of on the same track when they talk like that because they're separating Old Testament salvation from New Testament salvation. But the Bible tells us the covenant that God made to Abraham, he made it in Christ. Galatians 3 tells us he made it in Christ. So, um, and, and, and Jesus said, Abraham saw, saw my day. He rejoiced to see my day. And, and so I, I just, and Job said, I know that my Redeemer lived and in the last day, latter day he'll stand upon the earth. So, uh, anyhow, I, I do believe that it, it's a. It boils down to: Do you really believe the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is the blood atonement for all mankind, from Adam and Eve to the last man that gets saved? Yeah. Well, what it comes down to, and uh, and you know, Pastor Clem, I'll go to I'll go to you on this. And if you want to tell us kind of uh, what your uh, you know the biggest differences you think there are between you know, what you believe, dispensationalism, but it does, it really all comes down to what do you do with Israel? And for some people, for some reason, people are just married to this idea of Israel being this separate group that still has something special with God. So, uh, you know, you know, what do you say to that? 
Yeah, I guess when I think about, you know, systematic theology in general, I try to try to just boil it down to its common denominator. It's, you know, in particular, it's it's saved people trying to make sense of their salvation and how they fit into the outworking of God's plan. I mean, that's really what theology is. How do you make sense that you're saved? Now, we, we all know, and I think we would all agree, both dispensationalist brethren and uh, covenant theology or, 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 you know, whatever whatever label you want to put on, on there, they all agree that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, that, that's it. I was saved because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. Not, not by works of righteousness that I did. It wasn't because I was baptized or communion or joining the church or anything like that. It was simply Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of people out there that are saved. And again, now it's just a matter of making sense of what happened to us. I kind of like it, you know, to put it in a modern day illustration. You know, if you have a couple of people that are sick, um, they both know that they're sick. But one person may have more medical knowledge about what is happening to their body than the other person. And so one person may explain it. You know, he's vexed by spirits and that's why he's sick. He's dead wrong. You know, in, in, in all likelihood, of course, maybe that's debatable to even too. But the idea there is, is that some person's going to have a greater knowledge and understanding of, of how they make sense of what's going on with their body. It's the same thing when it comes to our salvation. And so with that, that in mind, I would, you know, the one thing that I'm pretty staunch on when it comes to, you know, what has been replaced? Well, let's, let's be clear. The Bible does tell us that the new covenant has replaced the old. I mean, that is... That is foundational and that is factual and that the old has been done away. It's been disannulled. It's been changed and that we are not going back to the old shadows and types because we do have something that's better. We have a better priest and a, with a better covenant and a better sacrifice and in a better temple. All of these things. We have Jesus who is better than Moses and better than the angels. I mean, the, the bottom line, Hebrews is telling us that the new covenant is better. And we're not going back to the old. And so the old covenant has been replaced by the new. Now, the dispensationalists out there will say, well, wait a second. Now you're you're saying that the church has replaced Israel. And that's, I think, where the issue comes in. I mean, what's the real sticking point? I mean, you, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned it there. It's what do you what do you do with Israel, um, in particular, the nation of Israel? And so I think as far as some of the sticking points that I have encountered is, you know, what are some of the main differences? One of them of God, what is it? And, you know, dispensationalists, many dispensationalists, classic dispensationalists would say that the, the kingdom of God was postponed, right? That Jesus came to bring the kingdom, but that the nation of Israel rejected the kingdom. And so God put the nation of Israel on pause and then he went to the church as kind of a plan B. And then once the pre-trib rapture happens, you know, then God is going to focus his attention back on Israel and resume the kingdom again. You know, that that's heresy, in my opinion. Uh, but what do you do with the kingdom of God? All right. And then and then again, the place of physical Israel. Is there is there, in fact, two covenant peoples of God? I mean, this is essentially what dispensational dispensationalism holds to, that there's two covenant peoples of God. There's Israel and there's the church. When the Bible very clearly tells us there's only one covenant people of God, so how do you make sense of that? How do you make how do you make sense of the church and physical Israel and all of that? And I guess the other difference there then would be the you know what kind of hermeneutic do, that you use. And oftentimes, you know, um, again, people people want to put you in a box. They want to label you. This this happens. And I like what what Pastor first said. You know, I'm you know I'm just trying to be biblical more than anything else. 
Um, but often if you don't fit their little box in their little mold, then they're going to accuse you. They're going to, you know, put a character, uh, characterize you as not holding to a literal hermeneutic. Oh, well, you just, you just allegorize the Bible. You know, you don't believe that the Bible is, is literal. Um, and so I think that's one of the issues as well. And, and so for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I hold to a literal hermeneutic. I believe in that very, very strongly. And, you know, and what is, what does that mean? You know, it means to interpret the Bible literally, um, which is to interpret it as as literature of various kinds. That is according to the usual rules of grammar and speech and syntax and context and a historical context and, and genre. The goal of interpretation is to understand the meaning of the text that the biblical writers intended to communicate. Um, so those are, I think, the issues in, in particular, the kingdom of God, the place of Israel, um, and and what kind of hermeneutic that, that you that you use, and those seem to be the sticking points um, that that I encounter when talking about this this subject. All right. So, yeah. So one of the things people do is they like to bring up the fact you know they'll show the differences between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament Church, and obviously there's going to be difference because of the Reformation. You know, we're not a physical nation anymore. We're a spiritual nation. You know, we're not just so much about Jews and a, and a bloodline or anything like that. Uh, even though there was exceptions in the Old Testament that, you know, we're for, uh, you know, we're of, of all people, of all kindreds of the world. And so, uh, you know, Pastor Major, what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, on, on the same thing when it comes to just some of the major differences uh, you know, what do you what do you do when people throw that at you when they say, well, you know, the church is not Israel. And then they start telling you differences between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. How do you usually respond to that? Right. So the uh, when it comes comes to that, you know, like uh, the pastor was just saying is we believe, you know, that the Bible is literal and we believe in interpreting it according to how it ought to be interpreted, just following the Word of God and the Bible. And one of the major problems or differences between what we might believe and what dispensationalists might believe is there is a difference in how the promises are fulfilled to Israel. And so they will accuse us, of course, of saying that, you know, that God lied to Israel because you're saying that the promises aren't fulfilled because, you know, again, then God just replaced Israel with the church. But that's not it at all. We believe that we have been brought into the commonwealth of Israel. And even in the Old Testament, like Pastor First was saying, in the Old Testament, there were people that were brought into the commonwealth of Israel in the Old Testament that were made part of the nation. Of course, he mentioned a few, but one of the passages that kind of you know, uh, drove the nail in the coffin for me when I was studying all this out many years ago was in Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel chapter number 47, it's talking about how that the land was to be divided up amongst the the, uh, the tribes of Israel. And you go on down towards the end of that passage, and it talks about the stranger that would sojourn in the land. And it talks about that stranger that sojourns in the land, basically talks about how that you know if he basically becomes an israelite you know he's keeping the passover he's you know partaking in their religion and so forth he's dwelling in the land and it tells us in ezekiel chapter number 47 that 
in what tribe uh, he was to sojourn in that he was to be given inheritance in the land. Now, for a dispensationalist, I would say that is honest with himself, that becomes a problem, which is why it was a problem for me, because I wanted to be honest and literal with the scriptures as I had been taught. And I had always been taught that the land only belonged to the physical seed of Israel. And yet here you have, even in the Old Testament, those who are not the physical seed of Israel being brought in to that promise. And so, in fact, a lot of the promises that you see, I think, in the Old Testament that maybe they would point to, some of them are fulfilled, I think, in the millennial kingdom. You'll see the fulfillment there. And then also the problem with dispensationalism is they pick and choose which promises they want to keep and which ones they don't. So they will, you know, of course, when it comes to the land or that land, it's unconditional. It just belongs to Israel. You know, like C.I. Schofield said, it's unconditional. All they had to do was just dwell in the land is what C.I. Schofield said. But that's not true at all because God gave them promises as well to Israel in the Old Testament. You can go look them up and read them where he promised curses upon them if they did not obey him, if they did not keep his commandments, if they were not faithful. In fact, some of those promises were that they would be spewed out of the land. And so the problem with dispensationalists is that they're not literal and they're not honest with the scriptures. And any dispensationalist that will be honest and literal with the scriptures, I think is going to find that he has a lot of problems in his theology. Right. Amen. Well, in Galatians 4, too, or um, maybe it's chapter 3, chapter three, it talks about, you know, if the promise, um, if it's of the law, then it is no more of promise. And so when you have the dispensational crowd saying, well, you know, the land belongs to the Jews, you know, you have to ask the question, well, why? If it's because of a genealogy, wouldn't that make it theirs by the law? Because it's those who are of promise that we have the unconditional covenants. And Galatians 3 and 4 makes it very clear, that's those who are of faith. That's those who are of Isaac, not of Ishmael. Not those who are of the spirit, not those who are of the flesh. They ignore all that stuff. And and like you said too, um, how these things are fulfilled, obviously I do believe there's going to be some things that are fulfilled in the millennium, but I believe that fulfillment is going to go to the, you know, the, those who participate in the resurrection to the actual people it was promised to like Abraham, you know, he, those things are going to be fulfilled through him, you know, and us too, but they want to make it about a, people that are literally over in Israel denying Christ right now, who just claim to have a bloodline. And, and that just doesn't make any sense at all. That does not, um, so I don't know if anybody wants to expound on that anymore, but I, I guess uh, let me ask you this question and whoever wants to jump in um, because this this is what people want to get to. It's like they'll agree with a lot of stuff, but then that all comes down to this statement they've been brainwashed with, and that's God's not done with Israel. They've said that so much, people think that's in the Bible somewhere. You know, what is left for physical Israel. Does God have anything special coming for them? Who wants? <laughs> I mean, it, the Bible tells us 
of course, in the, uh, the book of Revelation, they're spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And, you know, that's not a good thing <laughs> to be called Sodom and Egypt spiritually. That means that they, you know, they are, they're antichrist is what they are. They are opposed to the word of God. They are totally opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament makes it very plain that, in fact, they have the wrath of God on them. The Bible tells us in First Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 14 through 16, it says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And of course, that within context is in the day of you know, the apostles there, when it's being spoken that those Jews were trying to prevent them from preaching the word of God. But the nation of Israel today is no different. I mean, if you go there and try to preach the gospel, I've known missionaries that have gone there. I've never been there myself, but I've known missionaries that have gone there and have told me that, uh, you know, they're not allowed to go out and just, you know, in the open preach the gospel. If they go there as a missionary, they kind of have to go undercover and go as some kind of a businessman or something like that because they're not allowed to go preach the gospel. And when you prevent God's people from preaching the gospel, you are filling up your sins and you are treasuring up wrath. Right. Well, and it says wrath has come on them to the uttermost. Now, we love talking about that passage in Hebrew, how we're saved to the uttermost, which means we're saved to the end. So if we're saved to the end, meaning we're always going to be saved, and God's wrath is on them, to the end. How does that work with wrath being on them to the uttermost, but then them all getting saved at the end? Those seem like some pretty good conflicts, don't they? Again, does God have a plan for Israel? Yes, they need to get saved. Amen. And, and honestly, the only people that are Israel in the end are the saved people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can claim you can claim claim real estate if you want to. But if you die without Christ, you're not going to keep that real estate. Uh, and and I can and I can go ahead and be patient and not claim it right now, knowing there's a new Jerusalem coming. And as a saved person, I'll get to enjoy it um, because I believe that in the end, who is Israel? It's the saved who are in Christ because Christ is the original Israel, and those of us who are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. So the way out of the wrath of God is to reject the Old Testament Christ-denying system, and to submit to Christ and be saved and be born again. He told a very religious Jew, you must be born again. So the plan for, for Israel is the plan for everybody. They have to get saved. And so we're not saying that God's done with them. We're saying God wants to save them. But if they won't get saved, they'll face the same destruction as everybody else, and they will be lost, deleted, forever forgotten. Right. Well, let me let me say this, too, because I agree with what you said 100%, but let me kind of add a little more detail to that, because one thing that we have to realize, and because dispensation would say, well, I agree they need to be saved, too. They're going to go to hell if they don't get saved. But here's where we disagree. 
the body of people that is that call themselves Jews and are not, you know, and that call themselves Israel. Okay, that that body of people, they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. They will be destroyed. Now, any individual in there can be saved, but there is going to be a, a an Israel that is there when Christ returns that he's going to destroy because that in the parable he said, you know, bring those before me that would not that I should reign over them and slay them before me. So that body that people recognize as a physical people, they're expecting that body to have some kind of future inheritance, some kind of salvation. No, whatever's left of that is going to be destroyed. And that's why we've got to be getting individuals out of, out of that. And once those Jews get saved, they're not a part of that anymore because what they're a part of right now, the wrath of God is on it to the end. And there will be uh, some of them, you know, when Christ returns and they will be destroyed. No, um, David Cloud, he claims to be a King James only independent Baptist. He says some pretty crazy things because of his eschatology and his dispensationalism. <clears throat> he said, he said that the the return of Israel to the land, 1948, is as great a miracle as the resurrection. Now, I think that's close to blasphemy right there. To, to put Israel, physical Israel today, on the same pedestal as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just think that's crazy. But that's how blind they are towards, because their carnal mind, they, they see the physical Israel. And so when, when, when 1948 happened and Israel, quote-unquote, Israel, modern-day Israel, got back into the land, then the Schofield Bible notes looked prophetic, and people forgot to pay attention to what the Bible actually said and just focus on some carnal thing that they thought was happening. And so now, every so often, there's this new sensation. You know, you got John Hagee's four blood moons that came and went, and you got all these rapture uh, uh, predictions of, of 1988 and all this stuff. And uh, and they're and they're all trying to figure this out, and the fig tree and all this, the last generation. And, and all this stuff because they're focusing on on national Israel that is current in our day in the last 75 years. Well, my answer to that is, and you guys have read my book, but chapter six, I, I just said, who is the whore? I think the unsaved Christ rejecting nation of Israel leads what what we would call the whore or the 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 mother of harlots, the and and that abominable uh, woman of Revelation. And, and what does it say in Revelation? As you said a minute ago, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, those individuals who get saved out of that. And so you have to reject that Judaism and that, that religious system. You've got to reject it and, and repent of it and turn to Christ. And, uh, and then they'll be saved from that. But if not, they will face the wrath of God. Because the whore, obviously, uh, the wrath of God uh, destroys her, destroys all that are following that that Christless, uh, that Christless religion, that Christ-rejecting antichrist uh, philosophy and religion. And so that's what we're seeing in the end times. And, and so my answer to a dispensationalist who says, well, what about Israel? Yeah, well, guess what? Uh, it's a phenomenon, but it's not something that God's blessing. It's just something God's allowing. And it's a, it's a great blinder to those who are taking their eyes off the Bible and looking at the headlines and looking at modern Israel and sensationalism. And you look close at these eschatology, prophecy preachers, and, and book writers, uh, it's all sensationalism. It's all about 
It's all about what they can see and the tangible, what they look at, rather than what does the Word of God say. Yep. So Pastor Clem, what do you have to say about the future of Israel? I think people are confused. I mean, let's just, we, we have to make a distinction, right? We have to make a distinction between saved Jews and unbelieving Jews. Um, the, the Bible is clear that saved Jews are a part of the Israel of God. Um, I, Paul talks about that in his own letter in, in Romans 11. Uh, he says, has God cast away his people, which um, uh, cast away his people? God forbid. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Um, and then he goes on and talks about how the scripture talks about those who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. The, the point is, is there is a, a remnant that believes. Paul says, I am one of those believing remnant that, that God has indeed fulfilled his promises made unto Israel. We have believed those promises and we are part of the covenant people of God. I mean, this, this goes back to, I mean, think about this, you know, who, who were the apostles, you know, who, who is, who is, who is Paul? Who was, uh, you know, who was the the early church in the day of Pentecost? Saved who were the three thousand that got saved in, in Acts? They were all Jews, Amen. you know. In fact, who was, you know, everybody that was saved prior to Acts ten? Who were they? They they were Jews. So God hasn't cast away His people Israel. There is a remnant that believed, and they are part of the uh, the covenant people of God. Okay. Now, what about the unbelieving remnant, or not not even remnant? What about the the bulk of the of Israel that has not believed. What about them? Well, the Bible is very clear that they are cut uh, cut off of the people of God. Like God has cut them off. That, as we mentioned here, that wrath abides on them. Um, over in, let me find it here. I got tabs marked all over my Bible. Over in Acts chapter three, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. I love how the apostle said this. For Moses truly said. Unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord raise, uh, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. What happens when an unbelieving Jew rejects Christ? They're destroyed from among the people. Uh, it, it, it goes. I mean, the Bible's full of this. Who is antichrist? Right? Uh, John talks about this um, in uh, what is it? First uh, John two twenty two. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and Son. Do unbelieving Jews accept Christ and believe that he is the Christ? No, they reject him. They badmouth him. They blaspheme his name. They are the very definition of what is antichrist. And so, um, again, it all comes back to the covenant. You know, when we ask, you know, who, who are, you know, who is, who is unbelieving Israel? And this is where dispensationalists will say, well, they're, they're the covenant people of God. They're the children of Abraham. Well, we've kind of already went through this. You know, Galatians talks about this, that, 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 that the, uh, the seed of Abraham isn't after physical lineage, but it's according to the promise. Paul talks about this in Romans 9 as well. And so every single one of us who have believed in Jesus Christ are now uh, the, um, the children of Abraham. The Bible is clear on that. So 
just because of a person's physical lineage doesn't make them the covenant people of God. Furthermore, you know, th think about this. Is the old covenant in effect today? No, there is not a religion in the world, including Judaism, that practices the old covenant. They don't sacrifice animals and do all that kind of stuff. It is non-existent. And there may be kind of a variation of it out there, but it's not the old covenant. It's not practiced anywhere in the world. It is all but extinct or is extinct rather. Jews, unbelieving Jews are literally without a covenant because the only covenant that's in effect today, today is the new covenant. That's it. And you're either a child of Abraham in that new covenant or you're without a covenant. And if you're without a covenant, then the wrath of God abides upon you. And this is where unbelieving Jews are today. Um, they're, they're simply without a covenant. Now, can God graft them back in? Yeah, absolutely. If they will not abide in unbelief, God will graft them back in. God will readily accept them into the covenant people of God. This is the argument that Paul is making there in Romans 11. You know, when he, when he talks, have been grafted in among believing Jews. They are now part of the covenant people of God, inheritors of the promises that were made unto the Jews. And Paul is saying that he wants to, you know, use the Gentiles to provoke his kinsmen to jealousy. You know, it's almost like saying, look, look at these Gentiles over here. They're inheriting the promises that were meant for you. Mm. And you've rejected them because you've rejected Jesus Christ. You've rejected that prophet. And now the wrath of God abides on you. You're without a covenant at all. And, and, and but God wants to save you, nevertheless. And so, you know, what's what's in store for unbelieving Jews? Wrath, as it was it was mentioned. Uh, we don't want that, you know. And, and that's the fate for anybody, right. Jew or Gentile. Right. Uh, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are without a covenant. The wrath of God, uh, wrath of God, abides on you, and you're in for a world of hurt in the day of judgment. But God is full of mercy; He's rich in mercy, and He wants to save you if you would just turn to the one who who can, and that's Jesus Christ. And then you'll be part of the covenant people of God. Um, anyway, sorry, get a little worked up there. No, good stuff there, real good stuff. I, I thought about the verse at Romans nine four. It says, "Who are Israelites?" to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Everything about the New Testament, it was tailor-made for Israel, but they they rejected it. And so the, the fact that people are still looking for this other covenant for Israel, it's it's so unbiblical, it's so wrong. And a verse that you, uh, that you referenced, that's one I don't think I've ever heard a dispensationalist uh, preach on, is, and it's such a key verse to, in understanding everything. Because again, how do, you, how do we reconcile what appear to be differences between Old Testament and New Testament? Why, you know, it seems like Jesus kind of went against the Sabbath. You know, that's what they accused him of, right? And then all these changes that we see talked about in Hebrews. A key thing in that Old Testament law, Moses told the people, a prophet shall the Lord raise up. Among your own brethren, like unto me, unto him shall he hear. It was in the law that when that prophet was raised up and the Bible tells us it was Jesus, that they were to do as he said. So when Jesus came along and he instituted these things, it was obedience to the law. It was obedience to the Old Testament to follow those things. And then it goes on to say that if you do not listen to him, you're cut off. And that's exactly what we're teaching happened. That's exactly what Paul taught. 
in Romans chapter 11. And so the thing is, they're missing that. And then they have the audacity to tell us that we believe that God has broken his promises to Israel, which, what about that promise that he cut off those who did not listen to Jesus? Is that promise null and void? No, you better believe he kept that promise. And so they're taking a horrible interpretation of Romans 11 to say, well, I acknowledge all that stuff. Yeah, they're in trouble right now, but there's something else coming for them in the future. And then what they often do, they'll you know they'll go to Romans 11 and just butcher that, or they'll go to some uh, passage about the prophetic passage about the millennium in the Old Testament. You know, not understanding too just how much of those Old Testament prophecies have already been fulfilled spiritually through Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we're looking for a physical fulfillment of some things in the millennium. But again, the recipients of that are going to be those who are who partake in the resurrection of the dead. And um, unbelieving Jews are not going to be resurrected from the dead, nor is there going to be like this remnant of physical Jews that are unsaved that are going to receive that. No, it's going to be the ones that are going to be resurrected. So, um, you know, pa- Pastor Major, when it comes, you know, you hear that a lot, I'm sure, about, you know, that accusation that God broke his promises. I mean, do you believe God broke any promises to Israel? I, and I always like to ask people, give me the promise. Let, let's go to the promise. Show me which one you think I think he broke, and let's talk about that promise. So, Absolutely not. I don't believe God broke any promises to Israel. And that's one thing I, I do, too. I ask him. You know, show me the promise. Let's go look at it in the scripture and let's pull out the context and look at it. But, you know, really it comes down to kind of a a fundamental misunderstanding of who Israel is. And for anybody that's watching this, Pastor First has a great book on that topic of who who is Israel. And, you know, I believe that Israel was a, you know, and I learned some of this from Pastor First, his book there. So I'll give him credit for that. But I believe that Israel was a name of of Christ and that that is a name that he has given to his people that he has surnamed us whether old testament or new testament that name has been given to the people of God and so when they read the word Israel in the bible their fundamental misunderstanding is that they only apply it to old testament Israel whereas when we see it in the bible Yes, that nation Old Testament was called Israel, but in the New Testament, we are the Israel of God, and we've been brought in among them, and now we are part of the people of God. That's why we all get to dwell in the New Jerusalem, because we're all part of the same family and household of God. Amen. Amen. And uh, Pastor Major, thank you. I'll go ahead and do a little... (laughs) But but, uh, uh, seriously, though, uh, I give Pastor Williams, Wayne Williams... Uh, used to be the pastor in Rapid City, South Dakota. I give him uh, credit for his thesis. He wrote 101 Thesis, um, where I got a lot of information and studied and, and, and poured into it, into my my thinking. But um, yeah, Isaiah 49 clearly shows that Jesus is called Israel there and that he's referred to as Israel. And I think when you realize, okay, so Christ is the original Israel and they that are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. 
And then you start reading everything, all the promises in Israel, all the promises to Israel. All right, first and foremost, it's to Christ, but then it's also to all those who are in Christ. So then you start talking about like predestination and, and elect. All right, there's a lot of argument about that. Well, Jesus is the original elect, but if, if I'm in Christ, I'm, I'm considered the elect as well. And so then I enjoy the predestined, you know, joint hairs with Christ. I enjoy, I enjoy everything that, that, that by right belongs to Christ. I get that as well because I'm in Christ. Then that ties into when you get into Revelation, you get into Ephesians 2, where, where Pastor Major started about, you know, the, built on the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Then you get to the last book of Re last chapters of Revelation, and it talks about the bride, the new Jerusalem, as he was just mentioning, and how that you have the gates that represent the 12 tribes, and you have the foundation, which represents the 12 apostles. And you realize that all of that, both the tribes and the apostles are all called the bride of Christ. Well, what is the bride? The bride is someone who marries a husband and takes the name of her husband. And so I'm Israel because my, my spiritual husband is Christ. And so I'm, I get his name and I'm considered the bride and everyone who is saved will be the bride of Christ. I'm not a Baptist brider. I believe everyone who is saved will be of the bride of Christ. And so we will all be Israel, literally Israel. And so it's very simple for me to understand. And when I started understanding this and reading this, then all of a sudden the Bible got unlocked for me. I no longer had this, this, this thinking where part of the Bible was for this group of people and part of the Bible was for this group of people and only part of Matthew was for this. You know, no, all of it's for me. And I, and I realized it's all for me and all, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. And so I, I, just, I just began to see things so much simpler and clearer when I got my head out of pre-trib and dispensational thinking. Yep. Well, here's a question that I put out on Twitter the other day that I got zero response from. Nobody wants to answer this question, but I put out on there a question for dispensations or saved descendants of Jews. When a Jew gets saved, does he lose any special inheritance? If he doesn't, what does a saved Jew get that I don't get as a joint heir with Christ? You know, if we all get the same thing, then why do we care about ethnicity? And and so that's the thing. You know, even when they'll acknowledge, yes, they need to get saved. You know, yes, they need Christ, all that stuff. But God still has something special. You know, don't mess with those people over there. That, I heard a preacher the other day talking about those people over there in Israel. And he was talking about them as if they are that, like still that same group that we're reading about in the Old Testament. I mean, because look at the way God protected Israel in the Old Testament. You don't mess with God's people. And you know what? You know, America, we better stop. You know, we better not mess with them over there. We better be a blessing to them. And so they, they talk about the Israel of today like it's the same thing as Old Testament Israel. And Pastor Clem, like you said, they're without a covenant right now. That Old Covenant did have terms and conditions that they violated, that said that they would be cut off. If, if they did not follow these things. Yes, in the Old Testament, we see unconditional promises, but the New Testament flat out tells us that those go to those who are of faith, not those who are of the flesh. Because Abraham had two sons. Abraham had a child of the flesh. He had one of promise. And so it's the same thing today. You've got the children of the flesh, 
but they don't have anything coming. It's the children of promise that get the inheritance. So um, it is, it's, it's very frustrating to listen to the accusation that we believe God has broken his promise. Uh, you know, do you have any specific one? I, I, I didn't really write down uh, too many examples. Um, I, I could probably look some up real quick, but uh, you know, do you have any common things people like to bring up from the Old Testament that you know God's still got to do that with the Jews? I know Ezekiel thirty-seven is one. Uh, you know, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Uh, and total, it's total error because I could show you from the Old Testament that it's been it's already been fulfilled. Is they'll say that that uh, God has never fulfilled his promise of giving them all the land. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the Bible clearly shows that Joshua in Joshua's day and in Solomon's day, they had all of the land. And so that one, that one's, you can throw that one out because that, but I, I, David Jeremiah, somebody emailed David Jeremiah and he emailed them back. uh, Well, the land promise hasn't been fulfilled. And so then they forwarded it to me and, you know, no, no, you're wrong. And, but see, Schofield says that. Schofield's notes say that. So they, that's what they follow. So, so that's what I'm saying. Schofield and his notes are so powerful because people know the notes better than they know the Bible. In fact, Schofield reference Bibles are available in several different versions today because apparently the notes are what stays the same, but the Bible can change. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, one of the um, one of the things that I've actually had people argue with me about is that God has not fulfilled the new covenant promises to Israel. I've actually had someone argue, argue that um, Jeremiah 31 through 34 uh, or 31, 31 through 34, um, which is just absolutely ludicrous to me. And, and again, this is why I think it really hinges. I mean, we better know our covenant and we better know something about the covenants. I mean, there's something, there is something, you know, meritorial about, about covenant theology, at least in understanding the covenants, the new covenant was given exclusively to Israel exclusively. And, and, and notice what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible, I mean, Romans chapter 15, verse eight says this. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers very clear that that jesus has fulfilled the same thing uh back over in in Hey, uh, Pastor Clem, I don't know if it's just on my end, but I think you're cutting out. Is, is it messing up on your end too, Pastor First? Uh, yeah, um, all right. Right. Okay, yeah, I think he just got kicked out. Yeah, now Pastor Major, he had to leave. He had told me before uh, he was going to have to uh, step out early. He had stuff going on. I appreciate him joining us, though. But we lost you there for a second, Pastor Clem. Uh, looks, it looks like you're back and good now. But uh, yeah, it sounded like it was getting good. So want to go back to what you're oh, doing? <laughs> yeah, I got got cut off there. All right, so again, Romans, 
Romans 15, 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Very clearly, it's telling us that Jesus was the one who confirmed the promises made unto the fathers. And then again, in Acts 13, the apostle Paul uh, goes on and he says, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. Who's, who's Paul referring to? He's talking about Israel. Um, in that he hath raised up Jesus uh, uh, again, as it is written also in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day I, I have begotten thee. Then he goes on from there and he talks about, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things of which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest uh, that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I will do a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declared unto you. And, and, and so the, the point is simply this. Did God fulfill the new covenant promises to Israel? Yes, absolutely. He did. It's, it's why as saved individuals, we have the Holy Spirit today. I mean, this is this is the remarkable thing. So God has, in fact, fulfilled these promises to the Jews. And the remark. So here's this is the interesting thing. You know, people talk about Ephesians 2 and, you know, you'll hear dispensationalists say that um, that the church is a mystery according to the apostle paul in in ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 that it's that it's a mystery let's let's talk about what a mystery is i mean it's no a mystery is an you know a, a truth that is revealed later on in scripture that, that people just didn't know about was it any was it any mystery that gentiles would be blessed by the messiah or would be blessed in 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 abraham no, that's not a mystery. We're, we're told that, you know, Jesus would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. We're told that, that uh, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's not a mystery. But what is a mystery is how the nations would be blessed. And that is that Gentiles are now partakers in that new covenant that was promised to Israel. And of course, Ephesians 2 talks about that, about how, how that was, how, I mean, let me just get back over there. Um, you know, uh, our other brother mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I mean, this is the condition of Gentiles prior to that. Wherefore, remember that ye being uh, in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, which is called by circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Our saved dispensationalist brethren need to understand that the new covenant wasn't promised to Gentiles. The new covenant was promised to Israel, and we are partakers alongside believing Israel who have inherited those promises. And Ephesians 2 goes on and talks about this, you know, uh, uh, but, but now in Christ Jesus, ye meaning Gentiles, who were sometimes far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both Jew and Gentile one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enemy, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself of twain, that is Jew and Gentile, 
one new man so making peace. What, what did Christ do? He abolished the law. The law was the, the thing that separated Gentiles from the Jews. And this was pictured, of course, in the, um, in the temple temple right because you had that outer temple wall and and, and there was you know it was, there was even signs that gentiles if they would go beyond that point you know the penalty would be death and this is the wall that that, that paul is clearly making an allusion to that it's been busted down because because now any of us can approach god through this new and living way that is through the through through the veil speaking of jesus as christ's own flesh my, my but point is simply this we are inheritors of the new covenant promises, both Jews and Gentiles. And in fact, the new covenant promises were fulfilled to Israel. The issue of unbelieving Israel is they've rejected it. They've rejected Christ. They've thrown him off. And consequently, they've been cut off of the covenant people of God. But God will graft them back in if they abide not in unbelief. Well, yeah. And, you know, and I hate to get technical with the Bible, okay? But... Technically, according to the Old Testament, cursed is he that continueth not in all things, right? So you're cursed, you're cut off. Now, there did happen to be one person from Israel that did everything, and that was Jesus Christ. So technically, those promises that were made to Israel uh, did get fulfilled to someone from Israel, Jesus Christ. So when we are born again into the family of God through Jesus Christ, that's how we become Israel. That we get we were born of that, not the corruptible seed, you know, that's the flesh and blood, but of the spirit of the incorruptible by the word of God through Jesus Christ. And therefore we are now able to obtain those things that were promised to Israel by the, you know, thankfully by the only one from Israel. So, uh, yes, you are 100% right when you're saying there was no covenant to the Gentiles. It was to Israel. But th Jesus was the only one able to fulfill those things. And so that's why you have to be in Christ. And that's what makes you a part of Israel. And I am a part of Israel because I am in Christ, who sure enough came from Israel. So, uh, yeah, very, very well said. Um, I, I do. Go ahead. Yeah. All, yeah. As, as you said, Pastor Tommy is, is all of these promises find their focal point in Christ. Amen. He is the focal point of the promises to Abraham. He is the focal point of the promises of, of the new covenant and the old covenant. All of these things, they find their focal point in him. This is why his genealogy matters, right? And mm -hmm. why genealogies don't matter anymore because, because it's all about Christ. It's all about him. And, and again, as you, as you mentioned, you know, his, his identity becomes our identity. And that's very true. I mean, we recognize that his death became our death mm -hmm. and his life is now our life. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is the true Jew. He is the true Israelite. And his identity, likewise, becomes our identity. We are in Christ, and we are of the true Israel, who is Christ himself. Amen. Amen. That'll, what, that'll make you take a glory lap. Just and, and, and what you just said is, is exactly correct. It's all about Christ. It's, Christ gets all the attention. Christ gets all the glory. Christ gets all the focal, because it's in Christ. And when you take away, when, when someone like Strauss or Ruckman or whatever says the Old Testament people... Uh, they're not in Christ. What are you doing? You're taking away from Christ. 
and you're saying that these guys get saved through an animal sacrifice or something else or work salvation, you, you want to talk about replacement theology? Those guys are guilty of replacing Jesus with something else. Yep. I'm telling you, they replace more things in the Word of God than, I mean, I've got two pages of it in my new book. They, they are the ones who are replacement theology because they're taking away from Jesus Christ and putting someone else in its place. I mentioned Cloud, who says that the return of Israel in 1948 is as great a miracle as the resurrection. Come on, you're just you're just replacing Christ who get, should be getting all the glory. And everyone else, uh, everything else that you said is so correct because the covenant is in Christ. The covenant to Abraham, Galatians 3 says, in Christ. So that phrase, in Christ, is huge. And I, I think there's a picture there with the ark. you got to get in the ark. You get in the ark, mm-hmm. you're saved. And you get in Christ and all the blessings, all the predestination, everything in the world, the elect, everything, it's in Christ. You get in Christ, you're Israel, you you get the promises, it's all for you. Yep. Well, and I think to go along with that, I was kind of wanting to address this one passage. I um, This isn't something I had mentioned I was wanting to talk about, but I, I on the chat, I thought I noticed it. I don't know if this person was trying to make this argument off in here. I'm not really sure why it came up, but um, in Hebrews chapter 8, it mentions in verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now, many people are reading that verse today and acting like this is still for the future. And it says, they shall not teach every man uh, his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now, they stop reading right there. Because if, if you go into chapter 9, he uh, the very the, in the very next chapter, there's no doubt what he's talking about. He's talking about the first covenant that had the worldly sanctuary. And he shows how Jesus Christ has you know replaced those things. And Jesus Christ made a new and better way. And there's not a Baptist on the planet that doesn't get a lot of good doctrine from Hebrews chapter 9 that's uh, expounding on this new covenant. And this passage that we see there in Hebrews 8, it's quoting from Jeremiah where Jesus said at the Last Supper, you know, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. Have, have you guys heard that where people are, are still, they're so desperate to find something in the New Testament showing God's got something specifically for those people over there. And they're teaching that that has not been fulfilled, which really blows my mind. I saw that come up. I don't know if somebody was trying to make that argument. I didn't I didn't catch everything. To me that's so obvious because when you get saved, doesn't the Holy Spirit dwell within you and doesn't he put his laws in your heart? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Holy Spirit of God is like God's conscience in, inside of me that's telling me. And so a saved person has something inside of them that's it's teaching them and, and directing them and telling them things that they did not ever think about before. All of a sudden you, you get saved and you're watching a movie and, and something says, man, I can't watch this or, or, or whatever it might be. And it's, what is that? It's the fulfillment of Jeremiah 
And it's, it's what Hebrews is talking about. I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Right. Because it's now it's happening right now with all the same. Exactly. Well, and, 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 you know, I'll just kind of emphasize this as well. Again, verse Hebrews eight eleven, and they shall not teach every man, his neighbor and every man, his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. And what did, what did Jesus talk about back in John chapter 14? He says, and I will pray the father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then later on, verse 23 and in John 14, and Jesus answered and said unto him, if any man love me and keep my words and, and, uh, uh, and, and my father uh, will love him. Um, Oh, I've got that mixed up. If any man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Yeah. Then first John chapter two, 27. verse 27, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things and is truth and is in is no lie, even uh, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And then at the end of the chapter, or the end of 1 John, 1 John 5 and verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him, uh, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It is a very fulfillment of the new covenant promises. We know him and he knows us and he teaches us because he abides in us. That's a fulfillment of the new covenant. It's already been fulfilled. We're, we're living in the reality. This is the exciting thing. We're living in the reality of that fulfilled promise right now. I mean, how exciting is that? Right. Well, I, I, I will not say who this person was because I don't have the proof. I had, a, I had a private conversation one time with a prominent dispensationalist, author of a book, well-respected in many circles. And he went there to Hebrews chapter 8. And then he he also went to, I forgot what passage in the Old Testament, he was saying, you know, that's talking about in the, in the millennium. And in the millennium, uh, it's going to be illegal to go soul winning. You know, that proves dispensations right there because right now you're supposed to go soul winning and, you know, you're not going to have to, you know, they're not going to teach every man know the Lord. And, I, and so I, I flat out asked him, I said, so you believe another covenant is coming? I said, do you believe in a third covenant? And he's like, well, I guess technically, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was completely shocked by that when he admitted that to me, but they, they don't understand too, because this new covenant, it's not about a law written on tables of stone. And, you know, it's about a law that's written in our heart. And just like, and that's what God always wanted. God wanted, he wanted to remove that heart of stone that they had. And he wanted them to have a heart of flesh. God, he didn't take delight in their offerings and the things that they did that were fulfilling the letter of the law. There's that spirit of the law too. And that's why, you know, we're supposed to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not about going to the scriptures to find out what we can and what we can't do, you know. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit. It's about walking in the spirit. And if we'll walk in the spirit, you know, we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we have the fruit of the spirit, well, against such, there is no law. We're, we're going to please God. So to, to take Hebrews 8 and to make it still future for Israel, but they see that for the house of Israel. 
That's that's for the house of Israel. That's for the Gentile. No, you, we've been saying this the whole time. That new covenant was exclusively for Israel. It was made for them. It pertained to them. But we're included because we got born again by the true Israel, Jesus Christ. So I, I it really bothers me that we even have to address that argument. But I have a lot of people that bring that up. And get confused on that. And it, it's just shocking that di- what dispensationalism is, is teaching that. And uh, Pastor Lovellello's in there trying to name uh, who it was. And uh, I'm not going to say if he was right or wrong, but he was right. I mean, that's what that's the typical that's the typical dispensational thing. They they like to deflect everything to a future prophecy. Uh, Acts chapter 15. Uh, they try to say that that the prophecy of Amos is still future when. Uh, James stood up and said, it's happening now. Uh, the fulfillment exactly. is happening now. And uh, and then, of course, uh, they've got the second coming part A and part B, you know, the secret rapture and then the appearing later on, because that's just their typical game. That's just the Schofield way of doing things, the dispensational way of doing things. So, yeah, they try to deflect that as future. But, man, you read that. And it's like, no, Jeremiah 31 is being fulfilled now. And uh, Pastor Clem read the verses to prove it. Yeah. Well, that, that's the exciting, like I said, it's it, it's exciting to me because we're living in those days. Yeah, and, and the fact, I mean, we think of, you know, when, when you know, a, a, a baby Christian, you know, that doesn't know anything about anything, but they know that they've been forgiven of their sins. And, and why is that? Well, because that's a promise of the new covenant. I mean, he, he talks about that later on. I mean, you, you can't, yeah, you can't be myopic and only read Hebrews 8 on its own. It goes into Hebrews 9 and the Hebrews 10. But Hebrews 10 talks about this as well. He says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness before us, reading verse 15, uh, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Here he is requoting Jeremiah 31 again, and he's quoting its fulfillment in Christ because then he says, again, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin Amen. having therefore boldness to enter into the holiness holiness by the blood of jesus by a through the veil that is to say his flesh the point is i've you know covenant and what that means and who it was originally promised to and why gentile you know why is it that gentiles are now partakers in these new covenant promises and if anybody out there is is listening read ephesians 2 and 3 i mean that's the answer right there this is why gentiles can be partakers right alongside believing jews um so yes uh, you know i affirm with paul god has not cast away his people israel he affirmed his promises to them some believed a remnant believed but many did not, and consequently, they were cut off of the people of God. They're without a covenant, and the wrath of God currently abides on them, along with everybody else, Gentiles as well, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And if we really do care about the Jews, like people claim that they do, well, then we best get out there and start knocking on doors and going soul winning and doing everything that we possibly can to see people get saved, because that is their only hope. Amen. 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 Hebrews 
I mean, it's it's directed to the Hebrews. I mean, it's now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, it says in Hebrews. Yep. Well, the book of Hebrews is showing Jews that were under the old covenant, you know, giving them instructions into the new covenant because they had to make a transition. And uh, so it's a very, very important book. But, you know, we uh, I, I do want to I want to close with one more passage of scripture and kind of one more thing I want to deal with. I feel like we've got to uh, deal with a lot of really important things that I, I, I just don't think the other side is heard. So for those who are looking to have an honest conversation, you know, hopefully you have a deeper understanding of where we're coming from on this. And, and I can't imagine that you would disagree with a lot of stuff that we've said. And so, uh, you know, if we're missing something, you know, l- you know, let me know what that is. I'd be glad to address it. But I do want to I, I do want to hit on one more thing, because one thing that we see in the dispensation world is they do have this great fondness for the Jews um, and, you know, almost admiration. Uh, they love to bless them and to do all these things for them, to fly their flag in their church. And I just want to read a passage, and uh, and I'll let you, Pastor, say some words on this too, just to kind of show the hypocrisy of their um, how they treat the Jews, and just in it's not just hypocrisy; it's hypocrisy because of ignorance. But look what it says in in Second John, in verse seven, it says, "For many deceivers are entered the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh." This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now. Baptists believe this is about Jehovah's Witnesses, but Jehovah's Witnesses were not around in the days of 2 John. But there were Jews who denied that Jesus Christ was come in the flesh. And and so he says in verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. If they rejected Christ, they did not abide in the doctrine of Christ. They, They left it. They abandoned it. Hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And the same people who teach their people to be rude to Jehovah's Witnesses, and I don't have a problem with that, you know, because of their teaching, encourage their church to bless Jews. Fit, carnally speaking, I'm not talking about blessing them by preaching Jesus to them, which is what we've been talking about. Blessing them with carnal things. How is that not a direct violation of what John taught in Second John? You know, bidding them Godspeed. I mean, you and I both know that there's independent Baptist ministries, quote unquote, that are sending Kevlar and flashlights for their for their M16 guns and uh, knives to do battle in Israel uh, against Palestinians. What in the world? Talk about carnal. Talk about uh, the weapons of our warfare apparently are carnal. Uh, And, uh, you know, what in the world? Apparently we do wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, and, and why? Because because they're bidding them Godspeed and blessing, quote unquote, Israel, because they misinterpret Genesis chapter 12. And uh, I just watched Hal Lindsey talking about how that we've got to bless the descendants of Abraham. The Bible does not tell us to bless the descendants of Abraham, but the Schofield notes do. 
And the New Schofield Reference Bible in Genesis 12 uh, says that we better not commit the sin of anti-Semitism. So, so they're so blind to this. And blessing the modern-day Israel is somehow equated to blessing Abraham or the singular seed of Abraham, which was Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with blessing the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. America used to bless Christ. We used to be a blessing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to be a we used to be an, a Christ honoring nation compared to now. But now we're we're sending them millions of dollars every day, and we're not getting any blessings for it. I guarantee this last seventy five years of America hasn't been the greatest days of America, no doubt about it. And why? Because yeah, you're right. The hypocrisy of of talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and how that we shouldn't ever bid them Godspeed, and then turn around and bless the people that the Bible here says in First John, it says, if they deny the Son, they do not have the Father. So obviously, these people should not be bidden Godspeed. These people should not be blessed with carnal and material things. In this same ministry that I mentioned earlier, you know, it, they, they try to say, we need to bless them in carnal things. No, 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 no. If they're Christian saints, we should we should take care of their physical needs. But if they're not saved, we should tell them one thing only, and that is they need to be born again. Not try to just bless them with carnal needs as if that's some hard, you know, it's like a lucky rabbit's foot or a talisman. And, and that's why churches have these Israeli flags up on their stage. I got no problem if you've got every country's flag in your church to remind you of the nations of the world that need to preach, be preached the gospel to. But when you just have an Israeli flag in your church, you're a respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's wrong, man. That's just wrong. And so they might accuse of anti-Semitism, which is, not, which is a, a false accusation as far as I'm concerned. I'm not. But they, on the other hand, are anti-Arab. They're anti-everybody else. All right. They're guilty of of hating people and uh, and lifting up one group that is just as antichrist as the other group and and, and picking sides because uh, of an ethnicity or whatever they think or DNA or whatever. It's yeah, it's baloney. It makes me mad. It irks me very much. I get very angry. And I don't know how many people know this, but independent Baptist mission dollars are going to this kind of stuff. Yep. I, well, and let me just, if I may just be a little carnal for a second, you know, uh, in 20, I think 2018, uh, they tried to attempt to do a fulfillment of prophecy or whatever. And, uh, Trump got the embassy, American embassy moved to Jerusalem and everybody went nuts the way Trump blessed Israel. Uh, what blessings did Trump get? Has our country got? since we did that in 2018. Uh, these last few years have stunk pretty bad for our country, and they haven't gone too well for Trump, who people are acting like just did the greatest blessing for Israel since, uh, you know, Cyrus commissioned uh, Israel to re rebuild the temple. I mean, uh, that you know, that was pretty crazy. So I just like to kind of rub that in their face a little bit. You know, where's where's where was Trump's blessing? Oh, that's right. We got COVID. We got, he got, you know, cheated out of office. I mean, look, you know, look at all this happened. We got to rub that lucky rabbit's foot a little harder. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, so Pastor Clem, what are your thoughts too on, on this kind of hypocrisy that we see? Yeah, I, um, I, I concur with everything. I think this is a great passage to bring up. Um, the, um, 
it, it, it has to cross some people's minds, and I hope it does, that what you're, you are, in fact, doing is you are not blessing Israel, but you're cursing them by, by, by giving them these carnal means. Right. We, we would do more for the nation of Israel by way of blessing if we said as a nation, you know, yeah, we'll give you a bunch of, of um, national aid, but you need to allow for, um, for missionaries to come in and preach the gospel. Amen. You, you Amen. need to make sure that there's, there's free reign. That would do more for the Jewish people than anything else. Yep. Um, but as it stands, we're, we're, re, we're rewarding bad behavior is what we're doing. Um, and, and, and we're damning them to hell. People are not blessing them. Um, it's, it's, it's a paradox here, but you're actually cursing people. And, and so anyway, I, yeah, I agree. There's much more to say on that. Um, but like I said, if people really want to bless the Jews, they need to tell them the truth. That's how you bless somebody. You tell them the truth. You preach the gospel to them. Um, that would be the biggest blessing in the world because if God will graft them back into their own natural covenant people, boy, that's, you talk about a blessing right there. Um, because the blessing comes through the son. The blessing is the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm thinking of that off the top of my head. Um, see if I can find that here real quick. That's over in acts. You know, what, what is the blessing? You know, when there's that passage in, yeah. in Genesis 12, right? I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Yeah, there, there it is. Um, verse 25 says, and ye are the children of the prophets, talking about the Jews, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What is the blessing? You bless the son and guess what the son does? The son blesses you with the forgiveness of sins. That that's the that's the blessing right there. That's what the Jews need to know. Yeah. They they need they need the truth. Sure, you can be kind to them and give them, you know, some material needs or whatever, but they need the truth. And when you try to call yourself a ministry and you're doing everything but preaching the gospel, you're not a ministry. John Hagee, of course, Kufi, that's not a ministry. Uh, that's a, that's just, that's, that's a heresy. And, and, and then uh, we have, like you said, we've got, we've got evangelical and Baptists. We got people that are uh, more conservative than John Hagee, but they're still doing the same thing. And it's a shame to watch the carnal Christianity in our churches that are getting caught up in this, where they think somehow uh, we're going to be blessed if we'll just rub that lucky rabbit's foot a little harder. Yep. Well, you were saying before how, you know, you want to talk about replacement theology. Uh, here's a replacement. They take Genesis 12 where, uh, you know, uh, when Peter preached from that, he said that God sent Jesus to bless you. So the fulfillment of Genesis 12, according to Peter, was Jesus blessing them in turning every one of them from their iniquities. They go to Genesis 12 and say, that's, we are supposed to give them carnal things. That's the fulfillment of that. What an inferior <laughs> blessing. I mean, we're not going to accomplish anything through that. But yep, that is what they do. And it is, it's an absolute shame. Uh, and, and people do anything to just, you know, any, any proof text that they can take out of context, ignore the, uh, New Testament application or uh, quoting of it 
They'll do it, but we're gonna. We probably need to go ahead and shut this down. A lot of good stuff was covered. I really appreciate everybody. I appreciate Pastor Major uh, being on here for a little while. Uh, I always enjoy his insight on things. Uh, I, he's somebody I, I like to talk to uh, regularly and just kind of bounce things off him. He'll always tell me what I need to hear instead of just what I want to hear. I like that about him, and I appreciate him being on. Here. I appreciate you guys being on here. Uh, if you guys want to give a final word before. Uh, we shut this down. Pastor Clem, you got a final word? Yeah, I, I, I again, I thank you, Pastor Tommy, for this. And it's um, it's good that we can discuss these things. Um, I, 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 it's my sincere hope that we do have some dispensationalists who are watching this. And and again, um, if you're being challenged, if, if, if this is whetting your appetite to study your Bible, then that's really what it's all about. But just read the word of God and let the word of God be the final authority. That's that's how I came to this knowledge and understanding in particular, when I thought about that key question, right? How is it that I, as a Gentile, I know I'm saved and I know I have the Holy spirit and I have these promises. That's great. But how is that in light of the fact that the new covenant was given exclusively to Israel? How can I be a partaker in that? And this is what it's all about. And once you start to dig into that and, and, and unwrap that as I think pastor first said, you know, earlier, boy, the whole, whole Bible comes alive. Um, when you realize that these promises are yours and, and, and again, it's the, the idea is who are you in our nation today, but the only identity that really matters is, is who you are in Christ. And, and what does that mean for you? It means that you're, you died with Christ and you've risen with Christ. And it means that his identity is your identity and his identity. He is the true Israel and you are part of him as well. You are part of that true Israel of God. And that is such a, you know, when, when, you, when you get a hold of that, I don't know, it just enriches your walk. It enriches your faith. Um, and, then, and then to marvel on the fact that we are living in a day where these prophecies are, are realized. I mean, how cool is that? Um, to be a part of that. And, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I just can't praise God enough. I think that's just so remarkable. Um, and, and to know that God has indeed fulfilled these prophecies there. He hasn't left any prophecies un, unfulfilled to Israel. We're living in those days. It's now just a matter of discovering, you know, how these things unfolded. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you mentioned that a couple times. We're living in those days. I like how Peter said it, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. It was it was a mystery uh, in the Old Testament, but we're experiencing it. So, yeah, Pastor First, uh, final words. No, I think uh, I think we've we've said a lot tonight. Um, you know, if there's any more questions, we could probably talk more about this, but. Uh, you know, it's God is not willing that any should perish, and neither are we. We are not anti-Semite. We are anti-lies. I grip my teeth at the lies. I grip my teeth at how um, Christians can spend time and money taking care of every quote-unquote need a Jew might have today and ignore the main need, which is the gospel. You say, yeah, but we can't, we can't preach the gospel. It's illegal. Well, then do it illegally. All right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and risk your life, you know, uh, sure. It's a whole lot easier to give out material things because there you'll get patted on the head for that. Uh, but you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might find yourself like they did in the book of acts getting stoned for it. 
but that's what they need. And we need to not, we need to stop loving them to death and start preaching the truth. And uh, what Jew is going to get saved if we keep sending them lots of goodies and free bombs and free military aid and all this stuff? Let's stop that. But uh, I see that as a, as a fulfillment of prophecy. I said earlier that I do think the unsaved Christ rejecting Israel and, and those who will follow her uh, are going to be part of that whore of Babylon. Uh, and so I see that being fulfilled. But at the same time, what's God's plea in Revelation? Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. And uh, that's that should be our plea. So our church here in South Dakota, we have an, a, a missionary that we support in Israel, uh, but he's not free to do it. He has to do it a little bit undercover. Uh, and, and yet we want him to preach the gospel there. He's a saved Jew. Uh, he was he was born a Jew and born again a Christian. And uh, he understands the difference between being a Jew and being a Christian. So uh, we support him and we want him to preach the gospel on our behalf. And uh, the same thing with the Arab world. We have missionaries in, in the other parts of the Middle East doing the same thing. And then everywhere else in the whole world, because that's our focus, that's our motive. Uh, and I got into all this eschatology stuff for one reason. The Bible's being ignored and, the, and people are being lied to and doctrine is being uh, taught that's not biblical. And, uh, and I, I'm just going to come out and say it. The word of God is the final authority, not any man. And we got to stop following man. Amen. Well, hey, I really appreciate you guys doing this. I enjoy having these conversations, and I know a lot of people are blessed by it. And so, um, yeah, it, it really is a blessing. I appreciate you doing it, being willing to, you know, take the heat uh, coming on my channel and talking with me. And so, and you know, none of us agree a hundred percent with each other on everything, but you know, we're you know we're close enough, and we're brothers, and uh, learn a lot from each other. And so. I hope if you're from the dispensational world, this is giving you a better understanding. And uh, if you feel like there's something we didn't address, if you have questions, send them to me. You know, every time I get challenged on a scripture, uh, if it's one that I've not studied in depth, every challenge I've ever received that has got me looking into the Bible has only caused me to strengthen my faith in what I believe. It, it only helps me find more ammo. And um, I'm not, there's no angle. I'm afraid of looking at the Bible. Uh, I, I believe, I, I want to get to the truth. And I think that's where most people are at. But I think when it comes to a lot of these things, and 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 I've embraced the term replacement theology, even though I, I can see the problems and concerns people have, I do understand that there's a lot of bad associated with it. And, um, and so people, I do think, often assume a lot of things about me that are false. So uh, those of you who listen to this, I appreciate it. And that's all I can ask is that you'll, you know, hear me out, hear what I have to say. And, um, and so uh, even if you don't agree with me, hopefully you understand where I'm coming from a little better after tonight's discussion. So again, thank you gentlemen for joining me. Thank you everyone for watching. Uh, God bless you. And we'll see you all again in the future.